What's up, guys? This is the Black Queer Culture Show with James Patrick. Check out today's episode. What's up, guys? It's James Patrick here at the Black Queer Culture Show. Listen, I'm excited because when I was a little girl, <laughs> I wanted to... Growing up in the Brewster Projects. Growing up in the Brewster Projects in 225, I remember. We have a very a special guest here today. And I'm mostly excited because in terms of creativity, in terms of choreography, in terms of just being a master at his craft, I consider him to be that. I look up to him in the essence of all of his, not just his accolades, but just who he is. He's made a name for himself locally, regionally, nationally, and uh, he continues to make waves in and around South Carolina. Most recently, we had the opportunity to work together on the Rocky Horror Show, which was amazing, (laughs) life-changing it was, I don't even know how long, like, people are like, how long were you rehearsing? I'm like, I don't know. How long was the show? I don't know. I had a great time, though. <laughs> yeah, it was a while. Yeah, um, seven weeks. It was seven weeks of rehearsal. Seven damn weeks. Yeah, seven whole weeks. <laughs> I think I was in the mindset, honestly, of, like, just taking it week. So I can't, I get very overwhelmed, probably more than I lead on with. And so I took every week like week by week, like I just took it chunk by chunk. Cause what I knew was I was going to be committed to something for a long time. And it seemed one week I was posting an Instagram story and I was like week two. And then the next week I was like first show. <laughs> and somewhere in between that, I was coming to rehearsals and I came to all the, re- I came to yeah, like, I'm so fucking proud of myself. <laughs> Me too. It was a kind of a miracle. The whole thing was a little bit of a miracle. It was kismet energy. It was. It really was. Terrence Henderson, you are you are a master of many crafts. Can you just give us a brief rundown? Don't even keep it brief. We got time. Give us <laughs> give us the whole smorgasbord. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you said it. I'm a creative. I a multi hyphenate artist who is also an equity advisor and artivist and a an arts administrator and a conversation starter. I take that role of how art is serving a purpose beyond just the sort of what we take away from the experience of the art. I've always believed in the bigger purpose of it too, right? Is it a part of the broader Mm -hmm. conversation? Is it enlightening people? Is it bringing people to the table? Is it sharing in dialogue with community? Is it representative? Is it inclusive? Is it all that? That's always been there. It's always been an intentional part of the work before I knew how to articulate it as well as I can now. Before, it was just a matter of being on the ground and working with the people that were there and trying to meet the needs of what was right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And as simple as it was, that was how I got to the track record that I've laid out up to this point. But yeah, I started out like, a lot of us singing in church at home and all of that. I found theater. Luckily enough, I found theater in high school through an after-school yeah. arts program. I'm from Newberry, South Carolina, so we didn't have a lot of that going on in Newberry at all. at all. But I was lucky, even in Newberry, there was a wonderful woman, Kim Miller, who was one of my biggest inspirations, who started an after-school arts program. <coughs> And that was my sort of going from the church play to theater. That was that transition for me was really getting my first taste of theater. And Kim was really a mentor. She wasn't just my teacher. Kim brought me to Columbia for the first time. I saw my first shows at Workshop Theater and Trusted Theater as a high school student from Newberry who didn't have any context, (laughs) like none at all. I had no idea, though. It's really crazy to think of that kid 
who was looking at this world from the outside, knowing nothing yeah. to be kind of where I am now, like full on the inside, whole ass on the inside. Oh, wait, can I, is this an adult program? Yes, you can absolutely say, I did you, uh, you, you obviously, because <laughs> we speak with the F-bomb so uh, often. <laughs> You didn't even hear me say fucking. I was like, I'm so fucking... Pro-. Because it's such a... I have to, I'm an ambassador. So yes. I am oftentimes trying to hold on to... We're so comfortable that I got real comfortable for a second. And I was like, am I getting too comfortable? No, you're fine. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, that was a big transition, like moving into like trying to make way to where I am now. But I followed my own pathway of I want to do all the things, right? And I was advised very young and early to not do all the things, to pick a lane. And I was determined to figure out, well, I'm going to find out what happens when I <laughs> massage between this lane and this lane. Mm-hmm. I've always done that, being a singer, a triple threat performer myself, actor, singer, dancer, that transition into choreographer and director, but also a poet mm-hmm. and somebody who has created original work. That The journey of creating my own original work is really where I found myself and where I found my voice and where I found community. Mm-hmm. I found the things that really became the foundation of what people meet as Terrence now, mm-hmm. for sure. How do you translate your how do you translate your story to the world on different platforms? And I know that's a really broad question, but like, how do you find the nuances to, and like fitness, whenever I teach a class, like when I'm teaching a class, I'm teaching a, I'm telling my story and I'm teaching that class. How do you intertwine that? That So the conscious part of that, like doing it on purpose is new. When I was young, I was, when you're young, you're full of yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your, your, the sense of self is very potent when you're young. And a lot of my ways of navigating was really kind of just pouring out of me as a young person. But now I'm a lot more conscious of that because I realized after having done this for so long and watching like the real influence of being in space is like my job in the, when I started teaching in the public schools. It was like I realized immediately the impact like it's one of the reasons why i have been a teaching artist almost not almost for my whole career is because mm-hmm. i could see immediately in those kids mm-hmm. influence of seeing per- someone like me in that mm-hmm. building like i i was like a unicorn and i still am sometimes there, there was not a real example of someone who was doing what i was doing that was here mm-hmm. so like that sort of made those kind of experiences made me become more aware of how to make sure I'm being intentional about sharing my story through the work Mm -hmm. when I go into spaces. But it took a little time because when you start out as a young artist, you learn to compartmentalize yourself. You learn to check into whatever the box is. So if I'm a choreographer, I've got my choreographer hat on. But if I'm an actor, I've got my actor hat on. If I'm a teacher, Mm -hmm. I've got my teacher hat on. And it was like a lot Mm -hmm. of compartmentalization early and then somewhere around i don't know the most of this next half of the career i started trying to unlearn some of that try to learn how and create spaces and find spaces and jobs and opportunities that really embrace the full terrence so that i can figure out how all those things mix together and how to bring the full whole me. And so that's one of the things that I had to learn was that sometimes my friction with a place I was in or a job I was in was about me not feeling like I was able to be my full self. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know that's what it was. I was trying to stuff myself into the available box, but I was too big for the box, which is like the story of my life. Too big for the box. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so now it's a little more conscious. Now I'm a little more aware of like when I'm navigating spaces, there's a lot of importance in how authentically I show up because it resonates with who I'm trying to connect to, mm-hmm. how I have built community and all the mm-hmm. things I've done versus like just stepping in and out of things. Mm-hmm. When I step into yeah. a place, 
I want to put my feet on the ground and get face to face and eye to eye with who I'm with and then Mm -hmm. figure out the rest from that place. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. journey, I think, has helped me be a lot more like embracing of the full me when I walk into Mm -hmm. a room. And then to me, the rest of it comes behind that. Like first Mm -hmm. about me being able to be authentically who I am in a space and people Mm -hmm. read that energy without even knowing that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Connect to that first. So yeah, that's the beginning of it. And then it's a lot of a long list of trying to learn and know the spaces that I'm in. Like, it's a lot of that navigating, especially institutional spaces. You really got to learn what the culture is in the space because Mm -hmm. there's some things that are across the board and there's some things that are very different from place to place. And Mm -hmm. as a Black queer person, as a marginalized person, you're always navigating, looking in life for safety clues and cues. You're looking for Mm -hmm. the evidence of how safe you are somewhere. So I think that's something that a lot of us share and talk about or experience or don't. I'm from the old school. I was brought up in a cold switch upbringing and mentality like when you hear you do when you this when you you don't you don't tell everything this day in the house that's what the house you stay that over here i was brought up like that so like younger people behind me have like blown that open that those they're mm-hmm. like no code switching right now we're trying to unpack like how do we exist without having to co- like why do we have a code switch why is there a code like what, why is there a gate you know what i mean so right. now we're on that topic of like <laughs> why is there a gate in the first place that took some time to shuffle through some old stuff you know what i mean that didn't just overnight but all of that i think comes into play in terms of like how you navigate spaces you said something about finding the confirmation of the safe space and growing up in south carolina like you have five safe spaces in the entire state. <laughs> oh, and you being generous. Yeah, five. Yeah, you being generous. And two of them are downtown Columbia. <laughs> oh, that's so true. We ain't got no bars. We ain't got no bathhouses. We ain't got right. no, we ain't got no. There's, so you have, you're forced to do one of two things. You either, you work within the box that you're given, or you step completely outside of that box, or you have a third where you straddle both <laughs> both the box and <laughs> right so you're in the box but you're out the box right. and you're trying to drag a little bit from over here to there <laughs> a little there to here and I'm gonna just keep on doing that and no one will know no one will notice they'll never know they'll never know they'll never know <laughs> no <laughs> no one will ever know <laughs> no one will ever know that I am tipping in now this goddamn box and so how difficult was it for you to initially be like, I'm going to step outside this box because we all know what happens when you step outside the box. Ain't no stepping back in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're a white female. The only thing that will play in every space is white lady tears. Yeah. Unless you're Anne Hayes. <laughs> You can't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Yeah. Ah, yeah. No, you're right. And that, man, that's, I feel like I'm still on that journey. You know what I'm saying? I'm still mm-hmm. learning that. I'm still, I'm still checking myself sometimes about where I am with that. And when I get into a new space, it's, I've gotten to a place where now I recognize it sooner when something's not right. I can see it sooner and move my, remove myself or make, make adjustments. Now I stayed in a lot of places. I shouldn't have stayed for as long as I did younger stayed in jobs i shouldn't have stayed in because i was straddling that fence of i don't Mm -hmm. belong here really but i'm doing good work here and so the good work was what i was focused on Mm -hmm. i wasn't focused on my well-being while doing the good work that that's a newer side of it so yeah it's been really difficult because i think it's have to it's had to happen in stages like 
in some ways, like in terms of my career as a choreographer, I recognized right away that I was not the ideal in the dance world. I came into college, into this very ballet town, very ballet mm-hmm. cultured, very Eurocentric cultured industry. Mm-hmm. I started especially, I laugh about this now, but even at Alvin Ailey, brothers didn't have locks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For, for real. Yeah. I knew right away that I didn't really belong and that I was going to have to prove myself over and over again. That was the first thing that was very apparent. So mm-hmm. you build yourself up to be able to take that because that comes with a lot of microaggression, a lot of outright mm-hmm. racism, a lot of homophobia, a lot of just ignorance in general. People not, we talking about things now about like pronouns, but like people have a fit about that. You know what I mean? Imagine before we were talking about pronouns, how people were really messing up language. You know what I'm saying? Um, And that was happening a lot to where you're stuck in these places sometimes where you're forced to either swallow something or say Mm -hmm. something. And that's uh, that's hard emotionally to always be battling whether to stand up or to protect Mm -hmm. yourself and how Mm -hmm. to balance those two things. So it's hard. It's been hard. I've had situations even recently in my career where I've walked into complete toxic situations and institutions where I'm like, why is it like this in here? Yeah. This place why is, is it so stink? Yeah, why does it stink in here? What is going on? So it doesn't that hasn't changed. That is still mm-hmm. occurring. I'm just getting better at how to navigate like what my needs are in terms of my safety because I'm always down for the cause first. You know what I'm saying? No no always, shade yeah. like the real thing that's kept me going is that it's never just been about me. I've always known that I'm standing on the shoulders of people that we're all heading on this long ass journey. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm a part of a number You know what I'm saying? I've always Mm -hmm. known that, thankfully, to my parents, to my upbringing, my community. I've learned that. And I found my tribe immediately when I came and became an adult. I started finding my tribe and navigated life in that sort of mentality. So I'm always going to work towards what's the best for the cause, for Black people, for queer people. Like, how am I going to make this better for the person coming behind me? So sometimes when you're like so concentrated on that, Mm -hmm. pick your head up and stop and breathe and realize mm-hmm. what all of that has done, you know, yeah. to yeah. you. But now I'm learning how to work through those things in the process versus mm-hmm. going 10 years and then go, wait, what happened? And you look back, yeah. I just remember I was just about to, oh no, that was five years. Oh no, that was seven years. Oh no, that was 10 years. That kind of thing. So now it's more about like, how do we do that in real time? Mm-hmm. I have to like go through all these things and then learn later what the result of that yeah. was. Yeah. There's a bit of a trauma that comes with being like the pioneer of something or the first of something. And like, I can say in the space of fitness, in South Carolina, microaggression is definitely real. And we, we know that in the dance world, you've got marginalization going on and amongst a lot of el- elitist and non-elitist folks out here. But in wellness, it's just as toxic when you have some gym full of people or specific people or just a small demographic, even a small demographic of people in this type of an environment can really yield to some toxic, toxic outcomes. I think it really does speak to the unspoken trauma that we have normalized how to deal with, navigate through on a regular basis, like hyper-heterosexual behavior that doesn't just come from straight people. Newsflash. <laughs> yeah. It's not just coming from, there are too many men out here and women who have developed or been breastfed a hyper-heterosexual toxicity traits and behavior patterns that, you know, in this environment, 
is conducive because it's South Carolina. Right. It's the South. This is a red state. So I can totally coincide with that. How do you, how do you, like, do you ever find that there's this young gay child that's clinging to you <laughs> while you're busy being... <laughs> Fucking Debbie Allen, you know what I mean? I'm trying to be Debbie Allen in this motherfucker. Hard, trying hard. Hard. Trying hard to be. You want fame? You want fame? Fame costs. And right here is when you start paying in sweat. Yeah, I've been trying to be that my whole life. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, but of course. Yeah, absolutely. I I used to shake it off a little bit because I was like, I'm too young for children. I'm sorry. I'm not her. (laughs) I am not mother. Sorry. But I have a very motherly, maternal kind of energy, a very generous, warm. My heart is very ooey-gooey. And that sensitivity has always been there. And that softness Mm -hmm. is something I was... When you're young, that softness is something as a Black man that you're ridiculed for. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just just the whole term of, quote-unquote, being soft. It was something you had to fight hard against. But it took me a while to seeing that and that from that like you say, from a heteronormative sort of perspective, like mm-hmm. my softness as part of what made me who I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it's happened over and over again where some young mm-hmm. person, a, new, a young gay person in particular, see themselves in me or to see myself. I'll never forget this. This is one of my favorite stories. When I was at teaching school, I had a kid one time, a kid are, right? And that was, an, that was a big thing too, like being a Black gay man who was working with kids. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of conversation. And I couldn't even really talk about this then when it was happening. There was no real safe space for me to share yeah what it was like to pe- for people to... I remember one time in, in my school where an older, an elder, Black elder, who I respect still, came up to me because two of my students had ran up, grabbed around me, and I'm walking down the hall with my arms wrapped around both of them. Oh, yay, big hug. And the, the teacher was like... Well, it wasn't a teacher, it was an uh, administrator that was like, you know what, you really shouldn't do that. And I remember being like so like literally confused because naive young Terrence didn't really even understand like, how could this possibly be a bad thing? Like, how could this love be something? And then it took a second for me to realize, oh, okay, so I get it. Like, you're saying, like, that somebody else could see this and misconstrue it in some way or be careful about that. All of that. I used to be really nervous about that when I first started teaching to where I think I was carrying a lot of stress over it, quite frankly, because I... I've never been the kind of person to go to work and share my life with my coworkers first. That's mm-hmm. not me. But there is something about when you're able to really be safe enough to feel like you can be yourself, not because you want to share anything, but because you know it wouldn't be a problem if you did. Right. So that was the difference is that it, I didn't feel like it was a safe space for that. But I've watched queer artists and teaching artists that have come after me in the same realm in the school systems that have also gotten some negativity and ridicule. Like the more quote unquote flamboyant, right, you are, the less masculine or straight acting or whatever those things are, right? Yeah. The less of that you are, the more of a target you become for mm. people's negativity. I will never forget this. I had a kid that was saying to me one day, I'm back to the original story. Sorry, I jumped to a old story to come back around to this. We frequency hot, but we back, y'all. Yeah, uh, we, back. we back. And he said, Mr. Henderson, call you gay. Just loud and just bold, right? Because that's how kids are. And before I could even say anything, which I wasn't really going to respond to it, one of my other kids said, yeah, they call me that too. And it was just like the best... It was the best moment ever. The best? Because the kid took it out of the air. Like, it, he took the yeah. air out of the whole thing. Like, he just took the air out of it. And I was like, wow. I will never forget that. Because it was a moment where the child did the thing that I would normally do, which is diffuse 
an awkward situation. The child did that. And it has stuck with me to this day. And I don't know if that was one of those moments where that child was rising or seeing. I don't know if that's what that was. So I can't speak to that exactly. But that's what mm-hmm. I feel like those kind of moments are sometimes. It's like, I see mm-hmm. you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's always happened where I, so I do have some children. I do. I, when people ask me about them, I tell them they're my brothers and sisters because I'm just too young for children. But yeah, I do. I have several of them over the years. And one who's been my student and who's danced in my company, James. Like, once you enter yeah. the Terrence Henderson circle, yeah. they're all my children. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. You're all, yeah. Yes, yeah. you're all my... Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't escape it. I couldn't escape it. I, it's who I am. I don't think... I, you can't... I'm at that... I'm 35, and I'm like... And it's so weird, because, like, I'm at this place where, like, my whole life I was, like, I was born to be a parent. I am ready to foster children. Not at 35, I'm like... And it's but now it's oh now I have I actually have 18 year olds that are like show me what you did or how did you do that or can you take me under I've had three requests for mentors and I don't even I was honest in the moment I was like I don't think I can do this I don't think I'm here the way you want me or the way I you deserve for me to be well I respectfully decline but I guess it's just one of those things where you just got to accept, like, you are the old bitch in the club and it's okay because you're still fabulous and (laughs) you just know more than half the twinks here do. And that's the only difference. Right, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. The thing is that I think I'm like, also, it's also a kind of a selfish way to look at it, right? No, honestly, right? It's I'm moving away from it just because I don't want to be like old mother, right? Yeah. Um, which is so small, right? It's so small. Because really all people want is for you to be you. They don't want you to have it all figured out. They want mm-hmm. you to be in some sort of place or they don't, re- no one's looking for that. Mm-hmm. I think I remind myself sometimes because I I view and watch and read and absorb everything I can, mm-hmm. everything that's out, everything that's going on, going to New York, the show, travel, see culture, see things, meet people. And so sometimes because I've seen and read and seen, experienced whatever so much, It makes me feel like, who needs one more Black gay boy story? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It makes me sometimes go, I already said that, Terrence. But then I remind myself, like, yeah, somebody said that, and you heard it. You read it. You saw it. But there are so many other people, especially young people, who did not see that. They didn't go to that Mm -hmm. show, read that book, watch Mm -hmm. that documentary. They didn't. Or they did, and it went over their heads, or they didn't understand it, or whatever the thing is. And so more and more, I feel like one of the things, one of my big dreams is to, like, really have the full Tyler Perry of it all, right? To have a big space, like actual building, actual space. All Mm -hmm. the things that I am can live. The place where I create the art where I can teach mm-hmm. the art, where I can perform mm-hmm. the art, where we can go into collaboration as artists and build things and build experiences and build productions that are immersive, that are all of that. But I think there is something about that crossover, that duality of Black queer culture and young people, that there's still a bit of a void there in terms of like safe spacing. I don't know that we really have a space where like it's, I know we have Harry Hancock Center and I know there are Black youth, queer youth that are utilizing that resource. And there's, that's a diverse organization. There's a lot 
lot going on. And so I don't want to be ignorant and speak because I don't know exactly all the programming that's happening there. I'm sure there are. And I'm sure there are other spaces that are doing things too. But I can't like just name. Here's a place where I know Black young people, Black queer young people can come to and know that they are safe. And it makes me want to create that. It makes me want to do that thing I've done. A lot of us have done where when you don't see the thing, you just create it. Because I think there still is a lot of conversation. Like I was saying, I had a teacher friend who came into a job after me, and this has been in recent years, like in the last five years, who quit a job because they were being, people were, they were being written up by other faculty members for little things like their hair or their outfit or all these things that they were saying were quote unquote inappropriate, but really it was that he was too gay for the space. And I just think that was a time where that person needed a coalition. They needed somebody to come in and go, stop that. You know what I mean? Or bring them say, hey, forget that quit that job, come over here and work here. Yeah. I want so badly to be able to do that, to be able to take people that are experiencing these kinds of things and say, you know what? You don't have to put up with that. You know why? Because I run an organization where you can work and be who you are and still achieve the same thing. Like, it's what I think might be like the next sort of phase of my sort of journey. It's like how to really officialize that sort of like space creation. Yeah. I love it. And what we need is another body who advocates for that that same vision. And that's my hope really for, I never hear about what people have planned for their long-term vision in Columbia because the conversation (laughs) is always getting the fuck out of Columbia. It's the end of the conversation. I don't care what you start off at. It's always, yeah, but I'm trying to get out. Yeah, Yeah, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get out. But I've come to the sound mind and body, (laughs) the sound mind and body decision that like, if I am making an impact in the space that I'm at, demographically, geographically, then that's where I need to harvest my attention and my energy. Doesn't mean I can't make guap in other cities, other states. It just means that I'm, this is where I'm making the biggest impact and so in, in my long-term goal, I can totally vibe with the idea of having a center specifically for LGBTQIA that is regarded as a safe space. Because God knows how many of us have been bought up by PT's 1109. Like, <laughs> we have, I was nursed in the chairs of... Give me, give me. I'm older than you, see. Because you go. can take it back to the candy shop. Okay, okay see, now look now. <laughs> yes, and what? That's right, yeah. Those Metropolis candy shop days. Yeah, yeah. I I came up in that pre-social media, pre-online. Like, like, we weren't doing that yet. Mm-hmm. 90s, I was like there when it like the club was where you had to go to meet queer people. It was where the club was the place. Yeah. And... I've always sought out community because I come from a community. I come yeah. from a family that operates like community. And so even though I was moving away from that rapidly <laughs> out of high school, like sprinting out of Newberry, I got to get out of here. Oh my God. Because it was like a, there at that time, it was very stifling the feeling of I can't be who I am here, can't get to where I want to go here. And that was so present. It's like running away from that a little bit. I wanted to go to New York. My mom was like, hey, near, you ain't going to New York in high school. So I came here. And so I was running towards this community, trying to find that. So I came up in that old school time, but I call it my bar to bar train, my my B-A-R to the B-A-E, because I was at USC taking ballet classes where I was not seen, like literally, like I was invisible 
to them entirely, right? But with invisibility comes this sort of mastery of being able to see everything clearly. Mm. That's the thing that people don't get is that when they ignore you, all they're doing is giving you a front row seat to you learn how people operate. I learned that. That was the first lesson I learned was learning how the industry operated. But the, I call it bar to bar training because I was going to ballet class feeling like this is not my guess. This is not my mission, okay? These are not my sermons. I don't know whose story this is, but it's not mine. For multiple reasons. Being Black, I didn't have a dancer's quote-unquote body. I didn't grow up taking ballet class, so I didn't have perfect pointed feet and all of that. Like, there were a lot of X's on the paper. And, but I went to the club on Saturday night. And did what? Clear. Okay? Every weekend. And so we, me and my friends, my tribe, my circle, we were those young gays who would go into the club and at a certain point, they hit that siren or hit that good track, that good Deborah Cox or somebody, you know, and here we would come out, you know what I mean? And that's where I was out there doing, and I was the one out there doing kicks and splits and pirouettes mm-hmm. and all of that, bringing this thing I was like learning and going out here in the club where I was free and the music was loud and I was expressing myself. And, and people were living for it. In fact, it became a kind of thing where every weekend they were waiting on when the battle was going to go down. Because it was very much that whole, like, some dancers come from Myrtle Beach and they got some, and we're like, oh, no, you're not about to come to Columbia and try to, so then this whole dance battle thing would go. I wasn't like a ballroom kid. I didn't grow up in that culture. I wish I did, but I was I didn't do balls per se, but I was a club yeah. kid, you know what I mean? You wouldn't I didn't get ballroom ever from Yeah. Uh, no, I knew what it was. I went to some balls. I was in a house for a little minute. I was in another little small ricketing house for a little minute as well. But I was not a ball walker. I didn't vogue. I didn't like do that thing, but I was a dancer. And so that was how I was able to go into ballet class, stand at that bar and learn what I was supposed to learn and dance and not feel less than. So I was in there at that bar plie and going, okay, that's fine, but I, well, I know what y'all can't do. And it just fueled me to stay in that track, to stay in a place where I didn't feel like I belonged. I found where mm-hmm. I belonged. And so I was able to go through that. So I, I really found a lot of myself in those early club days. Yeah. That was where I was able to be free. I, the match of club and when I found West African dance, the first time I got in front of a pair of drums, like that, the African drum lit something in me that is still burning to the to today. Like it's still burning. Like it was something ancestral, tribal. It was at the root of my being, something awakened in me that I can't even explain, really. Mm. I found African dance early, luckily early in my career, and did a lot of African dance, West African dance, traditional West African dance in particular, became like my dance foundation, really. So I was learning Mm. the ballet and the modern and the whatever and all of that. But the tribal circle, the African circle, again, community, right? All of that stuff, that's my foundation of the club. African dance. So I learned the language of the industry because I learned, I knew I needed to learn that. But there was yeah. something very Black inside of it that was actually keeping me together. The first time I saw you do drag, I was probably... Oh my God, I'm scared. I was probably... I, 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 was, yeah, I, was, def- I was definitely 17. Oh I was 17. God, that's so crazy. I was 17. And the same night, I never forget the same night I saw you do drag was the same night my best friend threw no one or both of us threw up in my car. 
I don't remember. I'm going to revisit that part of the story. <laughs> but that the first time I saw, and that was for me, because before that, again, growing up in this kind of environment, like you don't, you don't see You don't see a lady boy, as my great uncle used to call. You never saw anybody dress in drag. And aside from Tuan Fu, you know what I'm saying? Or RuPaul, Mm -hmm. more marketable drag queens. I never saw like the beautification of it. And Wesley Snipes is nothing beautiful. (laughs) Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, none of them were pretty. But when I saw you, I was like, oh my God. It was like... And all of the, it was also the performance of it all. And that's what threw me. I'm like, there's an entire performance. It's really unmatched, if I got to be honest, because even now, like, we watch some of the modern day girls do their thing and they just don't bring the. <laughs> there's been a shortage of shit. There's been, a, there's actually been a deficit. A and they said deficit. that there's, yeah. the judge trees don't grow like they, they used to. They got to raise the judge ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, we're gonna have to. <laughs> you know what's crazy about the whole my drag journey? It's really crazy for me to hear that. I receive it and I can now. I'm glad to be in a place where I really can receive that. Uh, yeah. I truly am because I wasn't early on. I had a lot of hang ups about it because it was one drag was one of those things that was like, I've always been really, I've never liked other people identifying me. I've always had a yeah. problem with trying to self-identify and name myself and myself. You know, I remember when I started out teaching and I started teaching African dance. And when I, what started happening was people would only call me to do African dance. That was the only thing they called me for. I just Mm -hmm. made a decision. I was like, I do other things. I don't want to just be, so I literally stopped. I would, people call and say, Hey, we need to African. I'm like, Oh, I don't do that anymore. Oh, I don't do that anymore. (laughs) So I was literally like willing to turn down and did turn down some things and said no just so that I could get a follow-up question from a few of them going, oh, what else do you do? And that's how I got into doing contemporary and modern. If I didn't do that, literally, I would have spent my whole career being African dance teacher. And so drag was the same way where, like, when I was very young, if you're a drag queen, that's your identity in the club. You know what I mean? Good luck finding a man, girl. (laughs) So I had some hangups about the label, truthfully, if I'm being very honest. And so I dibbled and dabbled for years, just dibbled and dabbled. And so much so that, like, I really carried a little bit, I harbored a little bit of resentment for Alexia because I would do Vista Queen at Trust Us, right? Mm -hmm. did that for, I think, 12 years. I hosted that pageant for 12 years. And I would do that pageant at Trust Us, and people would come up to me and go, oh, my God. And I would think they were going to save the last role I played in a musical or something, right? Like, I just did Cole House Walker in Ragtime. I'm thinking they're going to come in like, oh, my God, Ragtime. And they would go, oh, my mm-hmm. God, Vista Queen. And I was resentful in a way, which sounds crazy, but I was, to where I felt like I can't ever, that bitch, that Alexia, I can't beat that bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I can be brilliant over here. But damn, if I put on a wig and then kick up and split, then the kids, like, it's like their minds are blown. And it really took some time for me to, sort. first of all, to understand that they were both me. Like, as crazy as that <laughs> is, it's like you realize you're battling with yourself. Like, you're having yes, a girl. whole hang up with a part of you. Like, you are Alexia. You're the one doing that. So what are you? But it was like I was trying to force on how I was going to be received. And I had to let that 
go because I have no control over how people are going to perceive what I do. I got to put the work out there and the chips going to fall where they fall. Let them figure out if they like it or if it's good. Or But that took some growth. I really had to like have a come to Jesus with myself about what is this thing? Why is this bugging me so much? And it was because I wanted people to see the fullness of me. I'm like, but I'm a multifaceted artist. This is just one mm-hmm. thing. And I had to realize that like people will come to the parts of you when it's their time. No, people don't have to receive uh-huh. the whole of you all the time that first meeting, they'll come to the rest of you when it's time. And I've learned to be more patient with that. And so now I really do live in a space of full embracing of like, because there's something that I can do in drag that I can only do in drag in terms mm-hmm. of as a performer. It's a medium that has its own. So I am a fan of drag and I have absorbed every beautiful drag queen and every black woman I've ever met, quite frankly, yeah. and, and all of my heroes. And I've absorbed them all into Alexia. And I'm able to go out there and do something that I can't do otherwise. And the mm-hmm. amount of actual reaction and thing that I can pull out of people in that medium is very powerful. So I now drag feels like armor and I don't feel that thing that was a little bit of a, I had a hang up about this yeah. taking over. I didn't want this to take over. And I was, like I said, with the school and stuff, you know, early on, it was about like, I don't want a picture from me and dragging the paper and I'm teaching kids and somebody's going to say mm-hmm. something. So all of that was like these little vampire voices in my head doing that thing that self-sabotages you from being your full self. Yeah. But I really had to learn how to embrace that. I'm really thankful thankful to like be able to sit here now and like really fully embrace what you just said because yeah. that was a journey i'll tell you it really was yeah now now i live now you live. Yeah, live yeah and i'm living because of it like i'm more me because drag teaches you something about yourself actually if you let it yeah. if you let it you have to submit to you have to really submit to i think the most confident people are the people who can be who they are in spaces where they're not traditionally supposed to be there like You've got to, there's got to be a level of confidence and maybe just a smidge of arrogance, just like a little, like a paprika pinch (laughs) of just bad bitch mentality to be able to say, I am fully, this is exactly who, and even this is who my alter ego is. This is, this is my Venus vixen that I've created and my love child that I've created in my head. And this is the presentation of it all. And I've always looked up to that. That's, because people like me were looking at it like can be just as fabulous in my own. So it just it really it tells it teaches and it tells a story. And as that's as old as time that it's really not even about you like you think it is like the gag of the story is that like you're right. really supposed right. to be like <laughs> absorbing this shit to teach other people. It's true. Like we were saying, like you got to move on it before you figure it all out. Like you, like we were talking about that earlier. You're like, you can't wait yeah. till you got it together, quote unquote. You just got to keep yeah. moving. I, luckily, I had just enough of that little bit of naive. I think it's a little bit of being naive and a little arrogance when you're young. A healthy dose of both. <laughs> yeah. You don't know enough really about the world and you're really confident in yourself. And so you Mm -hmm. mix those things together. And so early on, I got in a habit of stepping out on faith in myself. Mm -hmm. Like early, that journey Mm -hmm. started right away. Luckily, Mm -hmm. as an artist, like I said, doing my own original work, because there was no space, there was no theater, there was no company, Mm -hmm. there was no studio. That all had to be built. It all had to be find all of that, make it, create it, hold on Mm -hmm. to it, secure it, cultivate it. So yeah, I think I pushed myself into spaces, a lot of spaces where I shouldn't have been, probably, or that I wasn't welcome. And I spread my Black gay behind out and just let myself spread out where I was. And then in that, you say, was 
more helpful than I realized to more mm-hmm. people, for sure. Yeah. But I wasn't focusing on it like that. I wasn't thinking about it about me. I was just, I knew that it had a purpose, but it wasn't coming back in real time. It's like now, now more of it comes back to me. Now, now I see right. reflections of it. I'm like, oh, wow, that really, oh, oh, wow, yeah, that was happening. Yeah, yeah. I was there. there. That's right. I was there. I was, mm-hmm. there. I was there. We were just talking the other day about with all this turmoil that's going on in the world. I remember in college being at that, the rally marching to take the Confederate flag down. And I remember that changing my life. I remember it changing my life because me and one of my really good friends at the time decided to go just because we knew it was what we wanted and needed to do. But when we got there, it was like we stepped inside the march itself. It was people holding hands like this thing and we shall overcome. People in cave robes on the side, snipers on the roofs. Like it was an out of body experience that was transformative that really solidified that thing that I think I had felt growing up all along, but mm-hmm. in a right here in my own place, my own home kind of way, not just the mm-hmm. books and stories I'd read, not just the mm-hmm. things I knew about the struggle, the things mm-hmm. I learned from being in youth in ACP and all that. You know what I mean? I knew mm-hmm. who Majeska Simpkins was. Yes, I had heard of the Orangeburg Massacre, but being at that rally showed mm-hmm. me that this was real. This was happening. Mm-hmm. It was a whole lot more people on the right side of it then there were those few that were on the sides. But the right. few on the sides were a real threat. That was like, yeah. we were just talking about that recently, about how that experience in college was one of those things that led me towards continuing to be an activist as I do art and to think about how important what I say when I get mm-hmm. a platform. And I'm a bit of a preacher, so yeah. you give me a platform and a space, I'm going to preach. Yeah. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to try to be authentically who I am and not apologize mm-hmm. for that. So yeah, that's been part of the journey. It's, Joffrey Holder said, if there's, if I'm not welcome in a space, it's something wrong with the place, not me. <laughs> Period. 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 <laughs> the end. Yeah. The end. And that's all. And that's facts. Yeah. yeah. For real. Terrence Anderson, it has been a pleasure talking to you. We appreciate you. We admonish you. We bless you. And we're just hoping that you will. We are believing that everything that you set sight on is going to come into fruition. And uh, I'm just so excited to be in your radar. I look forward to absorbing more knowledge from you as I go through my own cultivation experience. And we sincerely appreciate you. Thank you for joining the Black Queer Culture Show. Yeah, thank um, you. People get in touch with you. So you can find me on the Instagram or the Facebook. I'm one Wait. number one dancing brother on Instagram. You can also visit my website at terrencehenderson.org, T-E-R-A-N-C-E, terrencehenderson.org, to see my, that's where I keep the catalog of my work. You can find out about me as an artist and about my work as an equity advisor, which is the new lane that I'm walking in more so professionally now is helping organizations and people get it right. How do we get this thing together? So yeah, you can find me there. Mm -hmm. And James, thank you. Seriously, thank you. Not just for what we have shared and been able to do together, but for this specifically, this platform, this space, just honor these sort of dualities of ourselves. There can't be understated how important it is. As old as I am, right? As many of these things that I've done, a lot of times it's not on that topic. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Black Queer Culture Show with James Patrick. 